Hey, good morning, folks. Welcome to Mornings with uh, Mac. And I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. We're going to do a little deep dive this morning. Um, So I want you to have a copy of God's Word. I want you to have a pen, pencil, something you can write with. And um, hopefully you've got a journal or you've got a tablet or something you can take some notes on. I'm going to take you out of the Psalms and I'm going to take you to the prophecy of Isaiah, the the great, uh, one of the four great prophets of the Old Testament writing prophets. And uh, I want you to look with me this morning at chapter 31 and 32. But do this, go to Isaiah 32, verse 20, and let me show you the beatitude uh, that I want to focus on this morning. Isaiah 32, verse 20. Uh, Verse 19 and verse 20 are are kind of an epilogue uh, to chapters 31 and 32. Uh, The two chapters fit together. Uh, um, The chapter divisions and the verse divisions in Scripture, there's nothing sacred or inerrant about them. Uh, That came about much later in time and is just a means to help us be able to reference stuff quickly. But chapter 31 and 32, really, they flow together. They go together. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 32 are the epilogue of these two chapters. And it will hail when forests come down. That really is a reference to Assyria, that Assyria is going to be cut down uh, like a forest. And the city will be utterly laid low. That is, it's going to be destroyed. Uh, Assyria is going to be destroyed. Now, the, the whole idea of that is that's God's work. That's God doing that. In the meantime, what are we to be doing? Verse 20, how blessed will you be, you who sow beside all waters, who let out freely the ox and the donkey. Now, that's a blessing in there. That's a beatitude right there. It's a beatitude of the Old Testament. Blessed, how blessed will you be, who, you who sow beside all waters. Now, I'm going to get to that, but it's going to be at the end. I want to set this up for you, this beatitude up for you, and I'm going to do it by starting in chapter 31 and verse 1. Uh, chapter 30 really is a, a part of this in that uh, the prophet is warning Judah not to go down to Egypt. Now, we looked at this briefly last week, so let me kind of set this back up for you. Hezekiah is king in Judah. The nation now has been divided. In 722, the 10 tribes to the north that became known as Israel had already been taken off into Assyrian captivity. Now Assyria comes back, and it's going to march on the tribe of Judah, really the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Uh, And there were those that had lived in the 10 tribes up north, Israel, that escaped and fled down. They were uh, more committed to the worship of Jehovah uh, than than some of the others or the majority of the nation in the north. So they'd come down. Now Assyria is coming down for them. And it has conquered every city, every walled city, every town between Assyria and Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's going to surround the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah is king. Isaiah is prophet. Hezekiah sees no way out of this situation. Politically, militarily, 
He sees no way out of the situation. So what is he going to do? Turn to God? No. Even though he's a good king, he's not going to turn to God. He thinks, I've got to do something practical. We have to deliver ourselves. Isn't that so much the way we think? I'm going to turn to Egypt. I'm going to make an alliance with Egypt, even though all the way back to Deuteronomy, God has said, don't you ever go back to Egypt again. Don't you rely on them. Don't you trust in them. Don't you seek any kind of help from Egypt. God says, I'm your help. Now there's the background. There, there, there you have the background. Now what I want to do is this. I want to show you three things this morning quickly. I want to show you the way things are. We know how things are. We know the way things are. But we dream an awful lot about the way things should be. That's the second thing. But in the meantime, in the in-between time, the things we should be doing. I'm going to show you what we should be doing in the in-between time. What we should be doing is doing what God's laid out for us. In between the way things are and the way things should be, Christian, you should be busy about God's work, not worrying about the way things are and not just focused on the way things should be, but focus on the work that God has for you now. So the way things are. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1 Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Now, here's going to be the deep dive. I'm going to break this apart for you and begin to show you some things in, in this one verse that really covers the chapter. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Now, just look at that with me, and let me begin to show you a couple of things right here. Uh, let me show you, um, in the way things are, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. That is a participle right there in the Hebrew, and it denotes an existing state. This is the way things are, the existing state of affairs. We're coming under pressure. We're coming under attack. We're facing a difficult day. We're facing a hard time. We're turning to Egypt. That's just uh, the existing state of affairs. That's how it is. Um, look at this one verse and how much they were invested in this world. How much they were invested in delivering themselves. And think about how often and how invested we are in thinking we've got to work out our own deliverance and things. Uh, there's an imperfect here. Look at, and they rely on horses. That word rely right there, it's the imperfect tense and it denotes characteristic. It denotes character. This is their character. They relied on the things of this world. Now there are three perfects. Now, what I've just given you is this. I've shown you that there's a participle here, there's a perfect, uh, an imperfect here, and there are three perfects here. Here are the perfect. And trust in chariots, because they are many. That's one. 
Uh, they trust, they do not look. That's two, the second perfect. Uh, nor do they seek the Lord. That's three perfects right there. That all denotes settled attitudes. They have a settled attitude. They have a characteristic of trusting themselves. And here is the existing state of affairs. Now look at this. Horses and chariots. They rely on horses and they trust in chariots uh, and in horsemen. Do you see that? Those three things. Horse, horses represent brute strength. Chariots represent military might. And horsemen represent trained um, personnel, armed, trained personnel. All of this is man trusting government, man trusting the military, man trusting his own ability to deliver himself. Uh, himself. That's the way things are. That's the way things are right now. We watched the government. I, I, I can't get out of my mind what the, what the governor of New York said uh, just weeks ago, and that is um, God didn't have anything to do with our turning this coronavirus uh, situation in New York around. Just rely on yourself. Uh, just depend on your own strength and ability to deliver yourself. That's man. That's the way things are. We groan about that. As Christians, it, it makes us, uh, that bothers me. It disturbs me. We just, we just, we groan about that. And then secondly now, we look at the way things should be, the way things could be, the way things are going to be one day. Let me show you this in chapter 32. Behold, verse 1, chapter 32, Isaiah, verse 1, Behold, a king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. That is, there is coming a day when there's going to be a king who is going to rule in righteousness, and everyone in his government is going to rule justly. And it's going to be like a refuge from the wind, a shelter from the storm, streams of water in dry country, and like a shade of a huge rock in a parched land. Now, let me take you to that. Behold, a king will reign righteously. Do you see that? Righteousness marks his reign. Righteousness marks his throne. Righteousness marks his government. That's his character. Now, this is very messianic, and it is looking toward not the first coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, in the Old Testament, let me, let me explain that to you. In the Old Testament, you have what you call a prophetic view of the future. The prophets could see the coming of Christ. What they could not see was a different difference between the first and the second coming. They could not see clearly the church. It's like looking, if, if you drive up to the mountains and you look 
and here's a mountain here, and here's a taller mountain behind it. The two kind of look like one. And if you turned, if you turned these two mountains to the side, you could see the valley in between. Well, that was a prophetic view. They didn't always make a distinction between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, here he's referring to the second coming. He's talking about the millennial reign. Can you imagine what that will be like when the king of all the earth rules over the earth for a thousand years in absolute righteousness, that that is the character of the king who rules the world. Can you imagine a president that ruled in godly righteousness, what that would be like? That everyone in his administration, everyone in his cabinet would, would reflect the righteousness of God? Can you imagine what the nation would be like, what the, what the country would be like in that? They would actually then, instead of fighting continuously with each other, over which party is going to be in power and have power and have control that they would actually think of the people and care for the people so that they would be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm and water in a dry country and the shade of a huge rock in a part of the land. They would care for us instead of their own political agenda and political power and political control. He says there's coming a day. There's coming a day when that eastern sky is going to split and Jesus Christ is going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives and he is going to come not just to take back, he is going to come to take over. Oh, well, let me get back to this. Now watch what it says. There's going to be four transformations that will take place. Now watch this in verse 3, chapter 32. The eyes of those who see will not be blinded. Do you understand that you can have eyes and still not see? Do you understand that those who are blind have eyes, but they have eyes that do not see? He says, then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded. You'll be able to perceive. And the ears of those uh, who hear will listen. You, you can have ears and never listen to anybody. Uh, that's very possible. Um, they're going to have ears and they're going to be receptive to the word. Look at this in verse four, the mind, do you see that right there? The mind of the hasty will discern the truth. That is, they will grasp the truth. They will grasp what is being said by God. The mind of the hasty. That is, my mind is racing in a thousand different ways. I've got my mind on something else. Don't, don't tell me. I don't have time to sit and listen to a devotional. My mind's running off. I've got work. I've got this. I've got to do that. He says, listen, there's going to come a time when you're going to settle down, and that mind is going to concentrate uh, on the truth of God. And then look at this. And the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak clearly. You can have a tongue and never communicate anything worth listening to. He says, when this king comes, the eyes are going to perceive, the ears are going to be receptive, the mind is going to grasp, and the tongue suddenly will begin to spout truth, the truth of God's word. That's the transformation that will happen in us 
in the people when the righteous king comes to rule. Now that's the way things are going to be. Now we sit back in the in-between time and we look at the way things are and we look at the way things can be and we groan over the way things are and we moan waiting and in the in-between time, we do nothing. Now, we, we said and we, you know, oh, it's so bad. It's so terrible. It's so awful. Oh, that Jesus would just come back. Jesus would just come back. What well, do you understand? He's not come back because he's left us here in the in-between time to do something. The beatitude of doing. Now, let me take you to that epilogue, to that verse. Chapter 32 of Isaiah, verse 20, how blessed will you be, you who sow beside all waters. Now, here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that in Scripture, sowing is a picture of activity. The man who takes seed and he goes forth to sow. Uh, the seed was the picture of God's word. Remember, some fell on thorny, uh, thorny ground, some fell among the thorns, some uh, stones, some fell on the pathway, and then some fell in the good ground. Well, the, the seed is always a picture of the word of God. Here, the sowing is the activity of the farmer, the activity of the people of God. We're to be sowing right now. Now, last night, I sat down and I just started thinking of a couple of verses that I want to share with you out of God's Word that deal with sowing. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to look back to Psalm 126, verse 5. And I want you to listen to this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. That is, times are difficult. Things are hard. It's stressful. It's difficult. Get up. And go sow, even though you sow in tears, because there is coming a day when you will reap. And when you reap, you're going to reap with joy. So don't let the time stop you. Now that becomes a theme through all of this. Now I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. Listen to this. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. If you keep your eyes on the way things are, you're going to decide it's never a right time to sow. Oh, no, it's just not the right time. Now, now's not the time. Now, now it's just, you know, we've got to wait until we have a perfect opportunity, a perfect time. Well, let me tell you something. That's never going to happen. Still there, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. So get out. Stop focusing on the way things are. Stop just daydreaming about the way things could be or will be or might be and get out in the morning and don't be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. These are not days, Christian, for you individually, for us as the church, to be sitting around idle. Even though we're not able to meet collectively right now, um, for, the, for the generations to come, the years to come, the days to come, when we're out of this and somebody's watching this, let me tell you, we, we, are, we are locked into homes. We're shut out of most everything. But even in that, these are not days to be idle. 
be busy doing something right now. Let me just give you an idea. This is the second journal now in two months uh, that I have started on. So I am every day journaling. I'm writing down. I'm trying to learn some biblical principles right now uh, to carry out in my own personal life. So do that. Now listen to Jeremiah. Let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. Here's the last uh, verse that I'll take you to on this idea of sowing. Listen to this. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground is unbroken ground, uh, hard ground, ground that has not been broken before. And do not sow among thorns. In other words, you've got to get out there and do preparation. These days while we are shut in should be great days of preparation for you. Um, and when you go to sow, uh, have some forethought, have some wisdom, have some understanding and knowledge, and don't throw the seed in with the thorns. That is, be purposeful, plan, carry it out. Now, let me take you back to Isaiah 32, verse 20, and let me show you what he says here. How blessed, there's the beatitude, how blessed will you be, you who sow beside all waters. He's saying here that you will have the blessing when you sow. He's saying here, secondly, it will bring you fulfillment in life when you sow. Number three, it implies the success God will favor you with. You may, you may not think it's being successful, but let me tell you, uh, in the eyes of God and in God's plan, you do in these days and God will honor your doing. Do you see this right here, this last part of that verse? Who let out freely the ox and the donkey? You say, well, what in the world does that mean? That doesn't even make any sense. It makes perfect sense. To an agrarian society, you go out and you sow a field and all of that field comes up so rich, you go out and you let your donkey and your ox out so they can graze out there on the grain and the wheat that's coming up. They can eat and you do that because you have such a super abundance that it won't matter to you that the mule and the ox are out there eating some of it. It's not going to touch. It's not going to touch your profits because there's so much. That's the blessing of God. Now, let me just tell you to sow during these days. Yesterday afternoon late, I took a 21-year-old young man right out here to the porch. We've been having work done in our yard for a week. There have been different guys coming through. This young man's 21. He's married, already has two children. And I took him out there. I took a Bible. I happened to have uh, a Christian um, standard version, a Holman standard from uh, Lifeway. There ha happened to have a brand new one, had never been opened. And I sat down before I went out there and I took a highlighter and I highlighted a lot of verses in the New Testament. Went out there with him, called him around. He came and he sat right out there with me and I began to lay out for him. I started in Jeremiah 29, 11. God, behold, uh, uh, God knows the plans that he has for you. Um, plans for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And I said, do you realize God has a plan for your life? 
Long before you were ever even conceived, God knew you would be born and God had a plan for you. And it's for good. It's not for calamity, it's not for crisis, but it's for good. And then I took him from there to the New Testament and I said, let me tell you the problem. The problem is not with God's plan, the problem is sin in your life. And I walked him through the Roman road and ended up asking him, wouldn't you like put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and have him be Lord of your life? Wouldn't you like to know God's plan? He did, and right there, he gave his life. I'm waiting on him to show up this morning. Gave him that Bible, said, take it home. He looked at me and he said, oh, that's too nice for me. I said, no, it's a, it, it is for you. And I want you to take it home, put the ribbon in John. And I said, start reading right here in the Gospel of John. Go tell your wife what you did. Go tell your children what you did. And I said, at some point, I want to baptize you. Well, folks, so even in these difficult days, you can be doing something. God bless.